Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. My name is Win Tran, and my cookbook is Adventures in Starry Kitchen, 88 Asian-inspired recipes from America's most famous underground restaurant. 2009. The market has tanked, and you decided to launch an underground, illegal restaurant in your apartment in North Hollywood. What were you thinking? Uh, I was thinking we were broke. Um, I was thinking that my wife was unemployed by that point in time, and she didn't have shit to do. Um, I was was also thinking that, you know, before all that, you know, I, I we had no idea what was going to happen. And um, I was already, I was in film. So I was like a, you know, I was an entrepreneur. I was producing films and selling films, which means like I would go to international, you know, film festivals like Cannes, Sundance, Toronto, Berlin, um, like all those things that people read about online or in magazines. But that was drying up and I didn't know what to do. But something happened during 2009 that, my wife started cooking all these original dishes and posting them on Facebook. But my wife's not a food blogger, and she inspired to be that. And I always tell people, they, people forget, like, before the food porn revolution of Instagram and similar, um, only Asian people really took pictures of food with actual film, which people thought was ridiculous because, you know, we love pictures of food. And my wife, that's all she did that for. She did it because, like, oh, I made another dish. And uh, then, you know, my wife lost her job in April, 2009 and everyone was like you should cook like Kogi or anyone else and uh that was the inception of starry kitchen three weeks later though i had to coerce my wife she was like why should i do that like this you're unemployed you got shit to do so tell me about starry kitchen the hours and the menu you went from sunday lunch and then to wednesday dinners yeah so here's a funny story about like our hours right so we had a friend of ours his name is um, Alex Al. He was at the time the executive chef of the Beverly Hills Hotel, and now he's in he's in uh, Vancouver. He, he goes, he's really accomplished. Like he was on the Canadian team for the Bocuse d'Or, which is like an international oh. competition for for countries. Like this guy is legit hotshot cook um, chef, and he comes to our apartment because his wife is a really good friend of my wife, and he says, "You know what? I'm going to give you one piece of advice." Um, you're going to run out of a refrigerator room very quickly. And so when we did that, the hours were Sunday lunch and Wednesday dinner only because we didn't have enough room to do any more than that. Um, we wish we could have done more than that because it was, it was really working well for us, but that was really just by happenstance and necessity because there wasn't enough refrigerator room. And, uh, you know, everyone works during the day and Wednesdays. So it's like, let's do Wednesday night. And Sunday lunch was more like, when we started on a Sunday, it was more also out of, it's like, hey, most of our friends are available on a Sunday. Let's just try that and see what happens. Um, and that was pretty much it. Like, there wasn't, like, everything in the history of Star Kitchen from the inception of our apartment to where we are now um, always comes from a place of necessity than it does for, like, oh, yeah, we think these hours are going to be really cool and more people are going to show up. Like, we have no fucking idea. <laughs> like we've been failing upward the entire time. And then and I, and it's, for, it's important for me to tell people that because anyone that reads our story or hears about us, we've been really fortunate. We've been in the New York Times, New Yorker, and all these places. We're very appreciative of all that, but we still don't know what we're, we're doing. We happen to be very lucky in the timing, and we've gotten better at what we've you know, done since we started. 
but you know, we, we're still figuring it out like everyone else. How'd you get the word out at the beginning? The simple answer is social media. Like I always say that social media really built us up. It built us, you know, made us who we were. Without social media, we would have never caught fire as quickly as it did. And I created a Facebook page. I created a Twitter account. Um, and I created a Tumblr account. At that time, Instagram didn't exist. Um, and I would tweet Facebook. And I also, I forgot, not the social media, but I also printed up 300 flyers. And I flyered every unit. And on top of that, I would text and call friends and coerce them into showing up too and guilt them. Because, you know, especially in L.A., like, you know, people go to plays and support their friends. And, you know, whenever your friend accomplishes something and tries something, you go out of support and not necessarily because you think it's any good. And that's how it started. How did you figure out the menu? Did you serve the same thing on Sunday and Wednesday or did you serve different things all the time? We served different things all the time. And the concept as we started was, you know, we wanted to serve Pan Asian comfort food. And it's mainly comfort food dishes that you couldn't find in most restaurants because it's, it's pet peasant food, you know, to be blunt. And what we would do is just make whatever we felt like and we'd rotate it, you know. So it's pretty much we would come up with an idea, we'd make it for that day, and then whenever – so we were just doing every Sunday at, at, at the very beginning, right? So after the first Sunday, you're like, oh, that went well. Let's, what we can, do, can we do next? So it was kind of like creative expression, experimentation. And then we would then, once we added Wednesday, we, you know, obviously we were doing double time and coming up with dishes. So sometimes we'd revisit dishes when we had an idea on how to do it better. Um, otherwise, it just basically came to mind at that point in time. And honestly, you know, I write about it in the book too. Like my wife is the creative driver when it came to flavor. So you know, a lot of times my, my wife would have an idea. She'd toss it back to me. I'm like, look, let's do it. And that was as simple as that. Did you start getting nervous when Yelp reviews started popping up? Uh, I got really nervous when the Yelp reviews started popping up because I didn't know what kind of <laughs> clientele or any other persons that would come in. But, you know, it was, you know, the funny thing about that was at one point in time, Yelp, like headquarters from San Francisco called us and they're like, Hey, so we're from Yelp, you know, you know, I want to talk to you. you no, know, it's great. You're getting a lot of traffic on your, on your listing. Are you working out of your home? Oh no. I'm like, Oh yeah, exactly. I was like, maybe that good or bad. They're like, we think that's great. I'm like, <laughs> oh, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we are working out of our home. That's amazing. And they're like, we want to support you. This is amazing. Like, you know, you were getting so much more traffic than, and then at that point in time, you got to consider like in LA, there's about 30,000 restaurants in LA. And we were like, you know, at that point in time, we were almost like, I think we were number one in the Asian Asian category. And we were about, we were about to break the top 10 of all like 30,000 listings in, in Los Angeles. And, uh, it did bring some people were like, uh, this isn't a restaurant. This is like an apartment. I was like, yeah, we didn't lie about that. The other people writing about that, that wasn't a joke. Um, but to be honest with you, it didn't, for the most part, it didn't bring people that didn't want to be part of that anyway. I think it already, it already weeded people out um, just by presenting that and people writing that story. So people that thought that was like not subversive or not cool, they just wouldn't show up for the most part. Um, people that did, they would just basically relay the story of what's happened up until that point. So it was kind of like a, you know, it'd be a, or, and this sounds really redundant, but it was like a written verbal history of what happened up in that point. People were like, 
oh my God, I found this couple in this apartment. This is what you do. And the next one would be like, oh my God, I found this couple and this is what you do. And this is what's happened since then. And it was really fun to watch that. And then LA Weekly found you. I'm not exactly sure how the writer found us. Her name is Captain Spires, who I'm incredibly thankful for finding us. And we're actually friends to this day. Um, she came and interviewed us and wrote a great piece about us. I believe, I believe it's called the apartment and the restaurant and apartment 205. And, uh, she so wrote a nice piece on us and all of a sudden people from New York and San Francisco and other places were trying to find us. And we, it was fun because people would show up and they're like, Oh my God, this is starting to get like, yeah, it's like, like, oh my God, I'm from New York and I just read about you. I'm like, like what? It was like, it was really cool to see people from other you know, places in the country be interested and genuinely just intrigued by what we were doing. And, you know, they'd pay $5, a $5 donation, I should add, like anyone else. And they would just sit with everyone and kind of commiserate. And, you know, that was the best part about actually Star Kitchen with the community. Like a lot of people would, you know, be squeezed up against each other, whether it be the Black Ops version in our apartment or out in the patio before we got caught. Um, and they would just share the stories of how they found us and what they did. And, you know, people from different, you know, walks of life, different affluence. You know, in L.A. too, like people tend to be a little bit cynical. So people tend to not um, associate with each other as much as they would like New York. But in our apartment, that was different. And people really got to know each other and became friends. And that, that was really cool. So describe your showdown with the health department. <laughs> well, I, I think if you ask from the health department's perspective, they would use the word showdown. Um, I, would, I would describe it as a very pleasant conversation. That ended in them not eating anything, but uh, so the a forty-five department. minute conversation. Well, you know that's a, that's a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop talking. <laughs> but, um, well, well, the, the, I should probably tell you the first part is that you know there is a local restaurateur that I did get to, I didn't get to know by knew him visually, and one time I saw him outside of our apartment when we were serving, and out of our apartment I was like, oh, that's strange. What is he doing in my apartment? Um, he had that restaurant in the other building and then the other shoe dropped. And like one day, about a week later, I, we come back home and there's this business card on our doorstep. I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. I, I turn it over and it says department of health services, like Los Angeles. I'm like, Oh wow. And my wife was so scared. She was like, Oh my God. Like, dude. and I wish he was like, like an old, like, like, like robber from like 1930s or 40s. So I was like, ah, the jig is up. Which is the look that she gave me, but jig is up. Oh my god, let's make a break for it. But me, I was like, oh my god, honey. It's like, it's like, why are you smiling? I'm like, you have no idea. This 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 moment is going to be very special. It's like, are you an idiot? I'm like, no. It's like, this is the moment that we're, we're going to get legitimized. This is amazing. So I called them, and they start interrogating me over the phone. And they're like, excuse me, sir, do you have a refrigerator in your establishment. I'm like, uh, you saw this was an apartment, right? So yes. And then we got into a debate about how I was running a legal restaurant. And I was like, well, what, what makes it, what, what's the difference between an illegal restaurant and a dinner party? Cause what I'm doing with a dinner party. And she didn't have any of that, but we kind of ended that conversation. And I was like, oh, okay, that's the end of it. But I didn't, I knew that wasn't. And we had a private email list and I emailed everyone. I'm like, Hey everyone, here's what's happening. 
you know, the health department has found us. We're just going to keep on going. Here are the rules of what we're going to do if the health department shows up. We're going to invite them in like they're part of the party, and uh, we'll see what's up. And literally the next Wednesday, so that was like on a – they left the card on Sunday. I called them on a Monday. That Wednesday night was the next service we had, and the health department shows up five minutes after we start. And that was – it was really interesting. There's two guys, an older guy and a younger guy. And uh, and I invited them in. They're like, uh, I don't think you want to send. And like, I was like, no, please come in, come into my come into my dinner party. And uh, it was interesting because the young guy I could tell was really into it because he could. It, at that point in time, we were making kalbi chim, which is a, a braised um, Korean short rib stew. It's made like jujubes and soy sauce. But it's amazing. And, and the entire apartment was filled with the bouquet of this incredible Korean dish. And the young guy, you could tell, I could, I could see him, like, really, like, he was craning his head, like, back, like, wafting all the flavors in. And he had a little smile on his face. But the older gentleman that was with him was totally not having it, totally interrogating me, you know, telling me that I was running a legal restaurant and that I should be doing this and why was I doing this. And I was telling him no. And then all of a sudden, he prints up my Twitter feed and puts it all out for me. He's like, well, what about your Twitter feed? It says otherwise. I'm like, but in my head, I was like, that's brilliant. But in my head, like, but verbally, I was like, <laughs> that's for my friends. I'm so sorry. Um, and, you know, my wife is sitting at, and, you know, she actually left the kitchen. And we have an open kitchen. She left the kitchen. She sat on the couch with her arms crossed, giving these guys a death stare the entire time. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't comfortable. Um, but I'm that weasel of a friend. Like, everyone has a friend that kind of gets their way out of everything. And I did. And they're like, look, don't do it again, or we'll take you to the health department court. I'm like, fine, sir, I won't. I won't do it ever again. And I sent them on their way. And, of course, I did it for another three months. Oh, my God. I, were you, <laughs> what happened after the 45-minute conversation and you closed the door? What did your wife say? Uh, my wife said, all right, this is over. We're shutting this down. We can't do this anymore. They found us. Uh, I can't believe you put me through this winter. <laughs> what the fuck were you thinking? I knew we were going to get caught. I always told you we were going to get caught. Uh, and uh, I was more like, honey, don't worry about it. Literally, we're going to spin this. It's going to be so much fun. She's like, are you fucking crazy? Are you fucking mad with Trent? We've been found. Like, this is, this is not cool. Like, what are you going to do? Like, don't worry about it. We're going to have a lot more fun. Trust me. I love how you call it a beautiful accident gone right. Because it is. Because, you know, that's so I, that's why I keep on saying, like, you know, I've, come, I've, I've been using the term failing upwards in the last three or four or five months and went, um, ramping up for the book. And the beautiful, beautiful accident gone right is, is what it was. Like, we, we didn't, and I mean this with the utmost respect, our dream was not to open a restaurant. That was not our dream. We didn't have a dream. You know, it was more like, you know what, my wife is talented, we're both unemployed, we don't have shit to do, um, let's just see what this is. And, you know, part of the pitch when I gave my, when I coerced my wife into doing this, I was like, look, honey, you don't have anything to do, and what we, but what we need to do is do this regularly, you know, and see what will happen. But what's going to happen is, hopefully, is that we get, you know, compensated donations for the food that we, we buy, We'll get better at it, and we'll just see what happens. And if this works, we'll just keep it going. And 
we didn't ever expect it to make it this far. We didn't expect to have a lengthy service. We didn't expect the LA Weekly to find us or the health department to find us and different, you know, food bloggers and the like. You know, I, I have so many fun stories of people that never didn't even know who we were. I remember like, we lived in North Hollywood, which is pretty close to Universal. And at the time, Conan O'Brien was shooting there or like at MB, the NBC lot near there. And I remember this couple that was from Orange County, which is basically an hour away from where we live, happened to go to the Conan O'Brien show. They were so hungry. They found their listing. Went in on our doorstep. And they're like, is this our kitchen? I said, yeah. They're like, is, this is an apartment? I'm like, yeah. Like, uh, uh, we don't care. We're just really hungry. And we eat. I'm like, yes, come on in. And that's, that's like the epitome of the beautiful accent gun, right? And it went the right way for us. So. I found it so interesting reading about one of your earliest Vietnamese meals at an underground restaurant outside of Dallas. I tried to recall as much as I could in the book, um, but it was something that really stuck with me. I just remember being with my parents. I was around five years old, and uh, we were going to a North, a North Dallas suburb by the name. It's called Richardson. Um, and uh, I just remember going to this house and, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't abnormal at that point in time, and you know I knew we were going to go get lunch. I just remember, and the way I recall in my head, kind of theatrical, is like I just remember like the door like just slowly creaking open, and all of a sudden I I just see kids and people running back and forth, and so many people, and then we walk through the house, through the house to the backyard, and all of a sudden there are tons of tables laid out in rows, and lots of people sitting in the back. And you see people walking like, you know, and they're not, this is not a restaurant. And there's people running around with plates of their food, dropping on tables, people just having a great time. And this was bigger than a party because it was really organized, right? This is, you know, this is very methodical about what they were doing. Like people were taking orders, right? People were dropping orders. No one knew each other. Like no one, like, but people were having a great time. And I don't know why this stuck with me. I was like, oh, my God, this is a restaurant. This is weird. This is really fun. This is in a home. And I remember, because I didn't actually eat very much Vietnamese food at the time, too, so I kind of just took it all in. That's probably why I took it all in, because I was so, you know, I was such a burgers and hamburgers kid at that point in time, part of it also being me just being uneasy about my Asian heritage in an American town, that. I just didn't participate in eating, so I just watched it all. And I remember when we were done, we walked out, the door closed behind us, and it's like we got escorted back into the real world. It was like being in Alice in Wonderland and coming back to the real world out of the rabbit hole, and it's like it never happened. Like, the door closed, and we were just in another suburban neighborhood in North Dallas. And it just had this profound effect on me that it just made sense whenever this idea came to be and there's the inception of why we did it too. Because a lot of people think we did it to be cool. I was like, no, it's like, it was just a great idea that I saw when I was a kid that I just wanted to relive a little bit of that myself. And uh, I, I wish I could recall where was that. I, I wish if I could recall, I wish I, I should ask my parents. I, want, I, should, I don't even know if those people actually ever opened a real restaurant, um, but it was a lot of fun. And I, 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 I really cherish that moment in life. The first sentence of your cookbook got me. You wrote, hi, I'm Wynn. I'm no one special. 
But what kept jumping out at me in your stories in this cookbook is that you have such a solid group of loyal friends and followers who obviously think you're special. That got me. I, I really appreciate that. I, I say that for a lot of reasons. Like part of it is I, I, I did grow up with a lot of the same issues um, that, that happened pretty early on in my life. Um, the other part is I've been hot shit also. And, and being hot shit, like a hot shot, I've been knocked down as well. Like I've been arrogant at bottom of my And I started realizing that my story, the only thing unique about it, at least from my perspective, is that I'm willing to share it. And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm articulate, but I'm articulate enough to be able to give you the details so I can paint a picture for you to understand what's happened to me. But everything that's happened to me either has happened or can happen to anyone else. Like I, I've been incredibly humbled by this business, and that's uh, the other part of it. Like this business, if it's taught me anything, it's humility. Um, it is not easy. And I've learned a lot about myself. And that is the thing that it taught me. Like I, that no matter what I do or what I've done and whatever publication I've been written up in and whatever TV shows I've been on, I'm old. I'm still at the end of the day, the same guy. I'm no one particularly special. You know, I walk down the street like everyone else does. I breathe like everyone else does. I pay for my food. I, I am courteous. Like, you know, I ask for permission to things like I, I, I have no credibility to ask for any more than what everyone else deserves. I have no credibility to judge anyone else. Um, it, that line, it, it means a whole, it means so much even more than I can even articulate, but it's, it's important for me to level the playing field for people. Cause when I was a kid, you know, I always got left out of things. And so I have this, I have a lot of mottos in my life. And one of them is that elitism doesn't sit well with me to feel like you're better than other people. This makes the other people to be like, to put people down. It's, it's not a great feeling when you're that person that's being put down. And I don't know why other people would do that to, to any others too, because, you know, if you get up, you should pick people up. You shouldn't have to put them down to make yourself feel better. Uh, it makes you feel more soulless, at least for me. So. You were on Chop Junior as a judge, and you were so sweet with the kids too. Uh, thank you. I that was an incredible experience. Those kids are so talented. I was so amazed. Um, and it, you know, what was great about that show too. Was you know, it was very inspiring to see these thirteen-year-old kids cook at such a high level, but to see the amount of genuine confidence and interest in food, and also in who they were. You know, as people, like there's one kid, the one kid that I had to chop, um, and I had the I had the hardest chop because I was at the end of the show, so I had to give them all these reasons throughout three rounds of why they were not the best. Um, that kid was so. That kid had a huge effect on me because he he was very unapologetic. He was 13, um, and I had to tell that kid, I'm like, you know what, you have it more together than most adults I've ever met. And I hope you understand that and appreciate that and don't get too big ahead of it as well, because if you keep that, you'll, you'll get really far in life and don't let this chop, you know, be the end of the story. And the great part about that is, so I filmed that actually in November with the Food Network. And then the episode of Chop aired about a couple weeks ago from now. And uh, the, his father wrote on my Facebook page, actually, the day that the Chop Junior episode came on. And he wrote, 
incredibly moving note about how what I said to his son that I chopped had an incredible effect on him and how when they come to L.A. in six months from that point in time, that his son said that he has to come to my restaurant. It's the first thing he wants to do when he gets off the plane. So that made me that made me shed a tear. I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't lie. It, 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 was, it was very touching. And that entire experience, if I never get to do it ever again, I will cherish for the rest of my life. So Sunday night, I made your recipe on page 11 for braised and caramelized Vietnamese cocoa pork belly. Yeah. I was wondering, how did cocoa rico soda, a Puerto Rican soda, make its way into this Vietnamese recipe? Growing up, in every Vietnamese and Chinese store I've ever been to, cocoa rico soda exists in all of them. So that is part of it. Huh. Like it, it, it already in, in my history, since I was born in 1977, Coco Rico soda has always been part of it. So there's no, there was never a question. Like, I always thought it was an Asian soda, right? A Puerto Rican soda? Like, I, like I always associated with, what's an Asian store? It must be an Asian product. So we should use it. And that was part of it. Like, you know, I didn't know otherwise. Without the, without the help of Wikipedia, I just didn't know that. So, you know, it started coming into that being... As we started cooking and playing with different ways to, you know, because a lot of traditional dishes have different specific notes, right? So that, that being, like, that would have been coconut milk. And at one point in time, we started making a fish sauce with Coco Rico soda to get a sweet note. And my wife, I mean, I don't even remember the exceptions completely. She's like, you know what, instead of, like, coconut milk, you know, let's just use cocoa soda because it's lighter and it's nice, it has this nice freshness. And uh, that's how it came to be. So, you know, I'll rewind. We didn't know it was Puerto Rican. I always thought it was an Asian product. It was in every Asian store. We picked it up. We threw it in the, this dish. And it was delicious. And that is the history as I know it, and <laughs> as I saw it. You know, I, and thank you, Puerto Rico. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Um, thank you for making the soda. Because without it, we wouldn't have this delicious ingredient. Like, we don't actually even drink it. And not because we don't like it. But we, it's funny, like, we don't drink alcohol either, really, to be honest. We, all the alcohol we buy in liquor stores and everything else, we buy it for cooking. So a lot of ingredients that we buy, we don't think of it as, we don't think of it from the perspective of what is, how it's normally consumed. And Tokoriko soda being that very item, like, we, I don't, th I think I've had a sip of it once in the last two years. Um, and I thought it was too sweet. And then we just put it back in the pork belly and like, oh. This is the way to, this is the way you should have it. So, and this is the epitome of our original idea of the comfort food that is eaten all like Asian homes. It's a dish eaten by every family around the world. And you know, I'm for all intents and purposes, I'm very American. But really it'd be that one thing that can that can bring you together with someone else that's Vietnamese. Like I met Vietnamese Australians and you know, very very thick Australian accent, and very Australian. But you, you mentioned Tikka. And everyone's like, oh, my God, my mom makes the best tikkah. That is my dish when I grew up. And, and in Vietnam, it's the same way, too. So it's, it's, it's like the one thing that brings all Vietnamese together. But it's, it's, in every culture, there's that, like, signature dish. Like, in Filipino culture, it's, you know, at least where Filipinos grew up in America, like, adobo, that dish. Um, for Koreans, I feel like kalikim is that. Um, like, there's always, there's always that one dish that's made by every parent in any ethnic society, I think. You know, I think in American culture, I feel like meatloaf is the quintessential American dish that every 
you know, American kid grows up with. Yeah. And if it's, if it's not, then it's something similar to that. But it's, and it's like, and everyone can tell stories of how bad or good their mom and dad's meatloaf was. Okay. Can we talk about the caramel sauce? <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling, I had a feeling you'd bring this up because I saw, I saw your, I saw your tweet about the caramel and how you, so you tried, you tried to make it three times, right? Yes. Well, I didn't realize that you had to kind of brown the sugar. And then put the water in. The first iteration was just kind of like a water-sugar mixture. And it just kept bubbling. And I thought, oh, okay, any minute it's going to get brown. Then I pitched that. Um, then I tried another one. And then finally I figured out maybe <laughs> maybe I should brown the sugar. And then I thought I just burned it. But I guess when it gets that dark brown, then it's perfect. I don't know if you noticed, but there's coin next to every, every recipe. Um, that's supposed to signify the actual level of difficulty. Like one coin is easy, two coins like medium, three coins is hard. I wouldn't say this is hard though, but um, that's funny. It's a uh, it's a four you know, coin it's, recipe. <laughs> 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 but that's me. I'm just a home cook. I'm just a gal cooking in my kitchen in New York City. So, <laughs> well, can, can I tell you something before I talk about the caramel sauce? Now that you say that, I say so. This, you know. The idea of I'm no one special, I, let me say this, because you said I'm just a home cook. That's where I'm going to call bullshit on that. But <laughs> bullshit in a way, no, no, the bullshit in a way that I, hopefully you'll hear me out on is like, you know, you were just home cooks. You were not experienced in anything, any of this business. And I think it's amazing that you're a home cook. I don't think that should be discounted. Like, you know, and by the way, you know, we have professional cooks. We have professional, you know, chefs. I give them one recipe. I give 10 cooks one recipe. I, I can promise you it will come out 10 different ways, no matter how well I, I articulate it. Without giving them the actual metric, the, the bar, it's going to come out 10 different ways. So, you know, what you say is you might say you messed up my recipe. I would say you interpret it differently, right? And right. That's, that's important for me to put out there because, you know, that's, you know, because you just being a home cook, like, I remember reading this quote from Thomas Keller, right, the founder of the French Laundry and Per Se. He said some of the best cooks he knows are home cooks. And I agree with that. Well, let me just tell you, though, that the pork belly turned out really well. And I put it on my Instagram and Twitter. Thank you. I saw it. And by the way, the color came out really well, too. I, I saw it. It came out. It looked. I actually got hungry looking at that. And I was very moved that you made it, too, when I saw that. So thank you so much. I'm so glad the caramel came out really well and here's the funny thing about that that recipe used to be far more complicated and then we figured out the basis of it was the caramel which has a little you know thankfully it's easy it's sugar and water so you make you don't make it right it's easy to dispose of and make it again exactly um, but that's the key that that really is the, key, the underlying key of that dish because it brings all the other flavors together which is really nice where can we find you on the web um you can go to startkitchen.com number one, or facebook.com slash startkitchen, or instagram.com slash startkitchen, or twitter.com slash startkitchen. Um, you can find me at any of those places, any of those apps. Um, you can also write me at any point in time with either complaints or critiques or questions. I will try to answer all of them, um, possibly in an amazing fashion. This cookbook is so much more than a cookbook. It is the great American dream story. 
Thank you so much, Wynn, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you for so much for listening to me babble. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Subscribe in iTunes and follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book, on Twitter at I am Susie Chase. Thank you so much for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast. 